Tonight I'm going to talk about freedom. You can think of this as kind of a residual 4th of July talk, if you like. Freedom. And, and what is freedom? Um, I think if we asked most people, just went out on the street and asked them, what does it mean to be free? I think the intuitive answer we'd get from most people is, means I can do anything I want. And I'll, I'll call that the conventional definition of freedom. There are a few problems with that conventional definition. Um, first of all, it, it's fundamentally based on desire. Um, and as Buddhism makes clear, desire is not really a, a firm foundation for anything. You know, if someone leaves a life in which their highest priority is running willy-nilly after everything they want, that's a lifestyle that's going to lead neither to happiness nor to freedom. Um, it's it's one of these these paradoxes and these paradoxes that's that's hard for I think hard for America as a culture to grasp that when we run after the things we want or at least run after the things that we think we want we're actually moving away from the life that we ultimately want. You know, it's an, ad, it's an odd paradox. I think another problem kind of associated with this definition is, is illuminated by psychology, and in particular what we understand of the psychology of addiction. We know this about addiction, that People in addiction have what I'll call a robust illusion of freedom, a robust illusion of choice. You know, so the person who is addicted, they think, I don't have a problem, you know, and essentially what they're saying is, I'm free to choose, I just happen to be choosing every time I get this next hit, you know. And from the person looking from the outside, it's very clear that person's not free, they're addicted, they're enslaved to that drug. Um, but the mind creates that that illusion that there's no problem here. I'm I'm in control. I'm choosing. And of course, it's it's almost cliche to say that the you know with anyone fighting an addiction, the first step is for them to admit that they have a problem. The first step, the the most difficult step, um, because it it's tremendously difficult to see through that that um, robust illusion of freedom, you know, and in fact, if, you, if you're familiar at all with the 12-step programs, they're, they're very explicit about fighting that, you know, you know, I am powerless against, you know, against whatever the substance is, that sort of thing. But the interesting thing is we, we often associate that with addiction and the psychology of addiction, but it's not really clear that that robust illusion of freedom is something limited to substance addictions, you know? And in fact, you know, with a certain reading of the writings of, of Freud and Jung, we could say it's, to some extent, an you know, characteristic of much of our lives. Much of our lives, we really think we're free. But we're not necessarily you know and I think we see this most clearly in others 
you know, like the young couple that's getting together and everyone's saying, don't do it, don't do it. It's going to be a lot of problems and they're, oh no, we're in love, you know, and like they think they're free, but everyone else realizes, uh-oh, you know. I think we see it at times in our own life when, you know, a, a day that I'm particularly triggered or I blow my top or something like that. And then I realize later, oh, I wasn't free in that moment. I was acting out old patterns, you know, rather than being conscious in the moment, you know. And it it leads very much to um, what is sometimes called the problem of frames. You know, we can look at somebody else and put a frame around that and say, okay, they were not free. Or I can look at a particular moment in my life when, oh, you know, when I that thing happened to me, I was not free then. We see all the frames that are, as it were, below us. We don't see the frames that contain us, you know. And so it's a very tricky thing. Um, how do I see the ways in which I am not free, you know? It, it certainly, I mean, certainly if I'm, if I'm triggered by strong emotion, I'm driven in some way, that's, you know probably an indication that that some old tape is playing out through me you know but even the ways that I'm predictable you know insofar as I'm predictable am I really free you know I don't know you know it's in and when I think of ways that I'm predictable I, I'd like to think that each time I'm choosing that thing because I want to choose it you know Am I freely choosing it? You know, and it, it, it's at least an interesting, you know, I'm not saying yes or no, but it, it's an interesting thing to explore. Um, and of course, this is, this is a, a realm where, um, I mean, we so need other, others. We so need to be in conversation with others and have that, that you know, the, the, the wise, compassionate people in our lives who can say, you know, Mike, you know, you think you're choosing this, but, you know, you know, to really, to point those patterns out to us. So that's a little about the conventional ideas of freedom. What does that actually mean to be free? And I would say, and this is drawing more on Buddhism than anything else, but, I mean, certainly one step toward freedom is silencing our mind. Like, just just getting to the point where we can clear enough mind chatter to have some space from it, that itself is, a, is an enormous step toward freedom. Um, another aspect of freedom, I would say, is a kind of inner spaciousness, you know, a, a, a sense of sort of wide open mind heart, that kind of thing. And I think ultimately freedom is a kind of resting in equanimity. Equanimity is one of the, um, it's called one of the four illimitable minds, the four mind states without limit. These are love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Equanimity is the sort of the, the least um, the least celebrated of the of the four, 
Equanimity is about being in this place of deep balance. It's almost like sitting in on this seat of deep balance where I'm not moved by grasping after pleasure, I'm not moved by pushing away something in fear, that I'm just conscious and aware. You know, sometimes that's called the seat of Bodhi in Buddhism. You know, and there's tremendous freedom in that place. You could say, ultimately, that it's from that place that we can intentionally choose our highest good. So that, that's very much what I would call an, an inner freedom. And sometimes as I was preparing this talk, you know, I, I came across the quote, you know, no one can be free unless others are free, everyone else is free, which is, which is more of a, a political uh, statement. And I very much agree with it on a political level. Um, and it's very, it's a funny contrast, you know, in, at the political level, there's a very real way in which my political freedom is tied up with everyone else's political freedom. And I'm, I'm benefiting myself if I'm fighting for people who are other than me to have their rights, you know, this sort of thing. Inner freedom, in some sense, is a very solitary journey. Um, but the fascinating thing is that the more I step into my own freedom, the more powerfully I contribute to those around me. You know, like when any one of us acts from a, from a relative place of freedom, we're unconsciously giving everyone around us permission to be free, you know? And there's, there's a way that, you know, a few times I've been around um, great souls and there's something wonderful about being, it's like all of a sudden, feels like all, there are all these possibilities, you know? And it's like at, at some deep level, we're responding to that energy of someone who's very free. And then to circle back, it, it's, you know, that can be the person who, is, who has achieved some freedom inwardly can have a tremendous impact um, even, even at a social or political level, you know. I think of um, all the civil rights leaders in the 60s, you know, Dr. King and Malcolm X were the, the two most famous, but all these people who achieved some kind of relative freedom in their own life and then were able to articulate that and inspire millions, you know. And of course, uh, you know, Gandhi in his, his own pursuit of freedom, he wound up liberating what is now the largest democracy on earth, you know. And so it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating question, you know, what, what do what I have to offer to others if I were able to free myself more? And I think it really, it, it brings out something very deep about the spiritual path, you know, how to say this. I think a lot of times people, you know, certainly I was, a lot of people are drawn to the spiritual path because 
we're suffering because we have problems and you know I want to fix my problems so I'm, I'm doing this meditation or whatever you know but then the more we are on the path the more it's that my path doesn't really belong to me it belongs to the world you know and the work that I'm doing at some in some level I'm doing it on myself but in some level I'm doing it for all souls you know and we're all we at at a deeper level we all have that interconnection I'll share also a um a koan. This is one of my favorite koans. It's from the Gateless Gate Collection. Sorry, what's a koan? A koan is, so in Zen Buddhism, a koan is a, like a mind puzzle or a, something that is designed to frustrate the thinking mind because it's communicating a deeper truth. And so this koan, the Zen master Uman simply says, It's such a wide world. Why do you answer a bell and don ceremonial robes? That's the whole koan. It's such a wide world. Why do you answer a bell and don ceremonial robes? And of course he's saying it to monks who, in the course of their everyday life, are always responding to bells and always walking around in robes. You know, and just that sense of how to say this. I think there's a profound way in which American culture conceives freedom as the opposite of discipline, and freedom is the opposite of commitment. You know? And the paradox is that. We, we, know, we get to know who we are through what we commit ourselves to. And, and we, our best chance of coming to freedom is by practicing discipline, you know? And so it, it's, again, a deep paradox on the point of view of, of American culture, you know, constraining ourselves, you know, sitting 40 minutes in silence it's not about becoming less free, it's be- about becoming more free, you know. But what I love about the, that koan, this idea that the world is so wide, the world is so spacious, that kind of wide, spacious, wide openness is what I'm striving for in my practice, you know. Can I have a mind? Can I have a heart? that is as wide open as the world. So I'll share the quote sheet, and it occurs to me, I don't think I even copied the, so I have to go back and, pardon me a moment for some technical stuff here, copy the link, okay. Now I can share it. So the Zoomies have the quote sheet.
Well, the first quote, the lead quote, is from the Dhammapada, um, which is, it's from the Pali Canon, from the original writings of Buddhism. Um, the Pali Canon is funny, because if you collected all the, the original writings of Buddhism, it would fill a small bookshelf, you know, and every single sutra begins with, the Buddha said, and then blah, 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 sutra follows. And like the Buddha would have to have lived a thousand years to say everything in the Pali Canon, you know. But the Dhammapada, scholars actually feel that the Dhammapada is very much represents what the historical Buddha probably said. So this is from the Dhammapada. As an archer aims his arrows, the wise aim their restless thoughts, hard to aim, hard to restrain. As a fish hooked and left on the sands thrashes about in agony, the mind being trained in meditation trembles or over, desperate to escape the hands of Mara. The Buddha also said, just as the great oceans have but one taste, the taste of salt, so too there is but one taste fundamental to all true teachings of the way, and this is the taste of freedom. From the Christian gospel, from the gospel of St. John, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then I have the, the koan again, which I cited. The Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, freedom is not procured by a full enjoyment of what is desired, but by controlling the desire. The samurai Yamamoto said, this is the substance of the way of the samurai. If by setting one's heart right every morning and evening, one is able to live as though his body were already dead, he gains freedom in the way. His whole life will be without blame, and he will succeed in his calling. Voltaire said, It is difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. And Goethe similarly said, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Kierkegaard said, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Uh, that's quite, that's one really to, to uh, ponder there. The Zen teacher, Diti Suzuki, said, what characterizes Zen is this, simplicity and sincerity and freedom. This last one is the most important. Real freedom to see things in their suchness, I would say. That is freedom. Ramana Maharshi said, Your true nature is that of infinite spirit. The feeling of limitation is the work of the mind. Victor Frankl said, Between stimulus and response there is a space. In that space is a power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. Psychologist Rollo May said, Freedom is man's capacity to take a hand in his own development. It is our capacity to mold ourselves. Thomas Merton said, The whole purpose of spiritual direction is to penetrate beneath the surface of man's life, to get behind the facade of conventional gestures and attitudes which he presents to the world, and to bring out his inner spiritual freedom, his inmost truth, 
which is what we call the likeness of Christ in his soul. Pope John Paul II said, Freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. Frank Herbert said, Seek freedom and become captive of your desires. Seek discipline and find your liberty. Joe Klass, on a a variation on the quote from John's Gospel, The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. (laughs) That is... That's been true many, many times in my life. Thich Nhat Hanh said, Freedom is not given by anyone. We have to cultivate it ourselves. It is a daily practice. No one can prevent you from being aware of each step you take or each breath in and breath out. Jim Morrison said, Expose yourself to your deepest fear. After that, fear has no power, and the fear of freedom shrinks and vanishes. You are free. Jack Cornfield said, Wherever you are is the perfect place to awaken. This moment is the exact place to practice compassion and loving awareness. You have all the ingredients to breathe and find freedom just where you are. Aung San Suu Kyi said, The only real prison is fear, and the only real freedom is freedom from fear. Michael Singer said, the day you decide that you are more interested in being aware of your thoughts than the thoughts themselves, that is the day you will find your way out. David Foster Wallace said, the truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. That one also I've experienced many times. Peter Santos said, the spiritual freedom we we see cannot be found by grasping at, retreating to, or protecting our, our, our perceived safe spaces. Our freedom lies in remaining open continually, not only to life changes, but also to the divine light within us and others. This is our choice. Although often perceived as a weakness, being open and surrendering to the experience of the present moment is our greatest strength. By authentically living the now, we submit to the divine guidance wherever we find the freedom to see everything equally and sacred in truth. And Elizabeth Lesser said, not only must we follow the golden thread towards spiritual freedom, but we must also unravel the garden variety twine that is wrapped tightly around our hearts and minds. <laughs>